0: Welcome to episode 122 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlott. Today's episode is a Q&A episode from my Instagram stories, and you all came through with the questions, really fantastic questions, going to talk about everything from how to stop the binge restrict cycle, to how often should you be taking your exercises to failure, if at all, to um, reverse dieting, how quickly should you be upping your calories to maintenance, and so much more. Let's do it. Hello, hello. Well, you all really came through with the questions for this Q&A today. Excited to talk through these with you. I wasn't able to get to all of them, and some I've pulled aside to do separate episodes on. One of them, namely the creatine uh, Episode that I've been needing to do. Every single time I put a QA box up, I get asked about creatine. So I'm just going to do a nice, big, deep dive into that on a standalone episode so that I can refer you guys to that. It's it's something that a lot of people want to talk about, and we're definitely going to do it. I just want to give it its own episode. But let's dive into the rest of these questions here. The first one I have here, this is from Whitney B. Duea. She says, I just started a reverse. How fast should I up calories to find maintenance? So there are several approaches and both of them work, which you want to choose is going to depend on factors such as how long are you going to be at maintenance and how comfortable are you with seeing the scale spike? Those are the two big determinants of which approach I typically take with a client or a menopause weight loss course member. So let's talk about the first one as far as timing. Is this short-term maintenance break? So like if you're gonna go on vacation or maybe right now we're heading into the holiday season and you're thinking, you know what? I wanna live these next six weeks at maintenance and then I wanna go back into a deficit. So if it's something more short-term like that, if it's one week, two week, three week, five week, probably up to like you know seven or eight weeks, if it's that short, I would take a more aggressive approach to upping my calories. And that's just simply because logistically, you don't have time for the slow and steady approach. Because by the time you actually got up to your maintenance calories, you'd have used up all of your time or you wouldn't even have time to get there, which means you would have still been in a deficit that entire time. So in this case, go ahead and add on 250 to 500 calories and where you're going to put those calories, how much of those calories you're going to put, not where, but how much you're going to add on is really going to depend on how steep of a deficit you are in currently. So if you're losing at a pretty fast clip, you could air more on the side of that 500 calories. If things are pretty slow and you've been really consistent, but they're still not. And when I say slow ladies, I'm not saying that I think half a pound per week is slow, but that likely means you're in a pretty moderate deficit. So, you know, you could, um, air on the side of 250. And you can keep going up from there. That's just your first jump ladies. So start with 250 to 500 calories daily. And let's see where that takes you for both of these. The thing you're going to want to pay attention to, to see like, Hey, am I in maintenance yet is one. What is the scale doing? If the scale is continuing to go down week after week, you're still in a deficit. Remember we need large chunks of time to really see what's happening with our weight. It can go up, it can go down, but once we have multiple weeks of data, ideally a month, um, and again, if you're doing a short maintenance stint, you might be through your maintenance stint by the time you can really evaluate what happened. But if you're, if you're seeing a downward trend, you're still in a deficit. If you're, um, what we're looking for with your waist measurement is for it to stay around the same, so waste measurements to stay around the same. And eventually now with this short-term maintenance, the scale might just spike up really fast. If you just add 500 calories, you add 250 calories, the scale might spike up. It should still level off. So we're not looking for the scale to continually go up. If it's continually going down, you can be pretty sure you're still in a deficit. All right. So that's going to maintenance for a short period of time. All right, so if you're going to maintenance for just this holiday season, just bump your calories up 250 to 500 calories and go. Now, if you're moving to maintenance for a longer stretch, if you're like, hey, I really want to live at maintenance for a while, I want to actually purposefully be at maintenance because so many women go their entire lives and never do that. They're either actively in a deficit or they're in a deficit mindset or they're planning when they're going to be in their deficit next and they're not strategically or they're putting on weight, right? They're just kind of in a food free for all. So if you're going to strategically be in maintenance and you're like, I really want to find where my maintenance calories are, you could still do what I just described and go up 250 to 500 calories. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to go slow and steady. If you'd like to, if you're like, I'm nervous about seeing big scale spikes. I kind of want to take this slow. Totally fine. This works really well. I've done this with many clients. Um, a method I like to use is where you just add in hundred calories three days per week. So that's like a banana. So just take your current deficit calories and add in about 100 calories per day, three times in a week. Do that for one to two weeks. Keep logging your daily weight. Keep doing your circumference measurements weekly. Keep noticing the fit of your clothes. Likely you're not going to notice anything. You're just adding 100 calories three days a week. Not much is going to happen at first, which is kind of the point here, right? We want to take you slow and steady. After one to two weeks with that, Add in 100 calories the other four days per week. So now you're 100 calories up across all seven days. Continue monitoring and your feedback as far as clothes, measurements, scale, and then go up another 100 calories for three days. Go again for a week or two, and then add the other four days with that 100 calories. So now you're up across the board 200 calories. You can continue on this way, adding 100, or as you get further in, 50 calories per day. Over time, what you're looking for is for your waist measurement to stay the same, the trend line is going to stay the same, it might go up at first. Right. So as you're adding literally more food into your system, you're adding more carbs into your system, there's going to be more water weight. Um, So you're going to likely see a spike in the scale over time. So after you do this for week after week after week, the scale is going to go up a couple of pounds. When we're in maintenance, the scale is typically up a few pounds. It's not up, you know, 10 pounds, but it's up a couple of pounds. Don't let that freak you out. Pay attention to what's happening to the fit of your clothes and your circumference measurements. Use an app. Um, My fitness pal does this. I like the app Weight Gurus because I really like to look at their trend line. I think it's a really easy one to to follow along with. Watch your trend line. In a deficit, what we expect the trend line to do month to month is go down, right? From the top left corner to the bottom right corner, the trend line, though the dots are all over the place, the trend is down to the right. In a maintenance phase, what we are looking for is a horizontal line. Though those dots are gonna be all over the place, the trend line should be going straight from left to right. Once you're there, you'll know you're in maintenance. So, those are two approaches you can take. Neither is better than the other, but they're both possibilities for you to consider. Okay, next question. This one is from Trishelle Johnson. And Trishelle says Should I go to failure on the last set as a rule? Trishelle, I love that you're even asking this. Far too many women work way too far away from failure and are thus lacking real results. So it is important to push the intensity close to failure. That said, no, you should not go to failure on the last set of everything all the time. There are some exercises that I wouldn't have you go to failure on hardly ever. So like back squats and deadlifts. For example, you know, if you're somebody who wants to test your one rep max, max for your deadlift and your squat, you could absolutely do that a couple times a year. This is not something I'd have you do all the time, but I've had clients um, who you know, I really like being strong. They really like being strong and they want to know like, how much can I lift for one rep? And so we do test that, you know, one or two times per year. Cool. But otherwise, no, you're not going to try and go to failure on your squats and deadlifts and those heavy lifts. The safety to benefit ratio just is not, it's just not there. For many other exercises, going to failure is safe and you should absolutely go there sometimes. So, isolation exercises are a great example. So, bicep curls, tricep press downs, lateral raises, leg extensions, leg curls. There's, you know, all of these kinds of exercises. The likelihood that you're going to injure yourself going to failure there is just not great. And there's plenty of compound exercises you can absolutely take to failure sometimes as well. You know, push-ups and rows and hip thrust variation, lots and lots. Ideally, you will be following a training program that will have this stuff all figured out for you. It will tell you how far from failure they want you to be. Now, most of the time I have my menopause weight loss course members and my aging stronger society members working one to three reps from failure. Okay. With some sets to failure, typically a last set to failure. I'll say, you know, do this set and this set with this rep scheme and then last set, take it to failure. I don't do that for every set, but I do have them work Close to failure, that one to three reps from failure is really important. Ladies, if you're like, I don't even know where that is, that's where actually going to failure can help you realize that. So if you're like, I don't know if I've ever taken anything to failure, do it. Try something, you know, pick up a dumbbell and do a bent over dumbbell row, a single arm dumbbell row go to actual failure. Like you literally can't lift the weight up anymore. See what that actually feels like. It will probably be very informative to you just how far away from failure you were working. If you just grab your training plan and it says do, you know, three sets of 10 and you pick up a weight and you just go to 10 and you have no idea if that was actually truly 10 as in like, I couldn't do more than one or two more you might not be getting or you're not getting the results that you would like to get in terms of your muscle development. So let's have you practice getting to failure. So you know what that feels like. Great question, Trishel. All right. Next question. This is Love 95 I'm having a difficult time after my endless birthday celebrations. How can I reel it back in? First of all, happy birthday. I hope you had a wonderful day. And it sounds like you did because you had a lot of celebrations. I just recorded an episode on this exact topic. It's episode 120 and it's called getting back on track. I want you to watch, watch, don't watch it. There's nothing to watch or read. What's my problem here? Listen, it's a podcast. I want you to listen to episode 120, Westy Love 95. Absolutely. You can get back on track, reel it back in, um, listen to that episode to find out how. Next up, we have my buddy, Amy Rudolph, 832 Fitness. She wanted me to talk about the mindset around the last 10 pounds. Amy's a coach and she knows you know this. there's a lot to consider here. Um, the first thing I would have everyone consider is, is it really 10 pounds you need to lose? Or do you just need to build some muscle? I see this a lot. Ladies, if you have been wanting to drop the last 10, 10 pounds, and you haven't spent a year or two hitting the weights hard, I bet this is you. If you have not used a progressive strength training program, I don't mean just showing up to random classes. I don't mean going to um, uh, Orange Theory. Uh, I don't mean doing P90X. I mean a dedicated strength training program that you follow the same training program week after week for four to six weeks You get stronger in these lifts over time and you haven't done that for a year or two and you've been wanting to lose the last 10 pounds, get on that. I'm telling you, I bet this is you. Do that and then see. And then see, like maybe you still do have some weight you want to lose. That might be enough to give you the body composition changes you are looking for. Okay. And then the second consideration around the last 10 pounds is this. People can stay at that last 10 pounds mentality permanently, and I just don't think it's any way to live. Poop or get off the pot, as they say. Constantly trying to just lose that last little bit of weight is a lot of wasted mental energy and time. If you really do want to drop some fat, do it. Do a 12-week cut. Put your all into it with a really high degree of consistency. And when we're talking about getting just the last little bit of pounds off, 90% consistency is really where I would want you to be. 80% consistency is cool. And for people who have, you know, 20, 30 plus pounds to lose, 80% consistency is fantastic. If we're talking those last five, 10 pounds, 90% consistency for 12 weeks is really what we're looking at. Now, what I want you to do is go into those 12 weeks with a decision that no matter where you are at the end of 12 weeks, you're going to take a diet break, a nice big one, okay? When you're lean looking to get leaner, we don't want you perma-dieting. I don't want anybody permanent dieting, but you especially. It's not going to get you what you think it's going to get. So go into this 12-week cut with the firm decision at the end of week 12, you are taking a diet break go many months at maintenance, an actual maintenance phase, not just like I'm kind of thinking about being maintenance, but I'm secretly trying to get that scale to go down. Okay. And definitely not a maintenance break where it's a free food free for all so that you're back, you know, you put back on five pounds, hit the weights heavy and hard during that maintenance break. And then after five, six, seven, eight months at maintenance, decide if you want to go again, if you do hit that deficit hard, We're going to have you stop the permanent dieting and that constant need to lose 10 pounds business. You can get past it. You absolutely can. I am going to be doing a nice 12-week cut here. If you want to join me, let's go. Email me. Let me know you're in. All right. Next up, Mel Padal, how and where did you get so knowledgeable? First of all, thank you. That's really kind of you. Um, That's very nice to hear. I still consider myself a newer coach. And that might surprise some of you. Clearly, it's going to surprise Mel Padal. I really do consider myself still a newer coach. I've been coaching for six years now, which in the grand scheme of things, that's a little baby coach. (laughs) That's a little baby coach in my mind. I have grown exponentially in my knowledge and my experience since starting. I started Mel Padal by just working on myself. Like I got into fitness because I was excited about getting fit, about losing weight, about getting strong, about building muscle that's where it started for me. I was voraciously reading and studying anything I could get my hands on about training and nutrition. I spent a lot of time in the gym trying things out. Um, I started just helping people. And then I decided to get my personal training certification and my nutrition certification. And as I was doing that, I started training people for free. That's where I started is helping people out for free. And I highly recommend that you will learn a lot that way with the certification if you're like oh that's that's what i should do i should get a certification and yeah maybe you should i want you to know they're really just enough to get you started you don't know actually that much after taking a certification i have continued to study on my own i go to a lot of conferences well i used to back before COVID. i want to start doing that again i go to a lot of seminars i read journal articles i read research reviews uh, and books i take courses actually have my eye on two courses I'd like to take still once on training, once on mindset. Um, so continued education constantly. I spend a lot of time on that. I got myself a mentor. My mentor of five years is Jordan Syatt. I added Mike Vacanti as my second mentor when Jordan and Mike started the fitness business mentorship three years ago. So find a mentor that is massive help. Um, and then coach a crap ton of people, really coaching I've learned so much just by coaching people and seeing what works and what doesn't work and what works better. Um, so I've become a better coach the more people I have coached. But thank you again. That's a high compliment. Um, I do have an episode. I didn't write down the number about both how I got into the fitness business and how you can as well. There's one with my um, uh, friend, and assistant coach. She does some assistant coaching for me. She used to in the menopause weight loss course, and now she takes on individual clients um, as a VIP level with the menopause weight loss course. If you're considering joining the menopause weight loss course in January and you're like, I really want some more hands on. I want somebody really holding my hand through the process. I have that for you. My uh, friend and colleague, Emily Hansen. we did an episode together. I don't have the number I'll put it in the show notes and talking about how she got into the fitness industry in her forties as well, just like I did. And she's incredible to work with. She will be doing the VIP level in the menopause weight loss course in January. All right. Next question. KSL mom show. Do carbs and fats matter in a cut if protein and calories are hit? Okay. So my answer here is no. And also yes. (laughs) How's that for an answer? No. And yes, so the bottom line is, if you hit your protein and your total calories, you're golden, you will lose fat and you'll preserve slash build muscle mass, assuming you're also strength training. So that's the no part. No, calories and fats don't matter. Research backs this up. We're talking about weight loss. If calories and protein are equated, you will lose weight equally as well, no matter where your carbs and fats are set, as long as your protein and calories are equated. But, and here's where the yes comes in. Though one is not superior to the other, as in low fat versus low carb, there's generally a ratio that is likely superior for you because it helps you be consistent with your deficit. So if you detest eating low carb, as many people do, I do, though in theory it's equally as effective as eating low fat or having a more balanced amount of carbs or fats than eating low carb, it's going to likely be tough for you to be consistent with low carb. That makes sense? So what research shows is you can lose weight doing low carb, but you personally, being a person who doesn't like eating low carb, you're likely to not be consistent. And then that messes up where your calories are. So And someone else might be like, I freaking love low carb. And then for them, it's a good fit. So that's where I say, yes, carbs and fats still do matter. What I don't think is that you need to track them. I really think tracking your calories and your protein is plenty. And then you can play with the ratio of carbs to fats to see like what satisfies me what do I enjoy? What helps me be consistent? But you don't need to be constantly tracking all three nor trying to play that game of Tetris every day to see like, I need X number of grams of carbs um, and, or I'm out of carbs and I need X number of grams of protein and fat. What should I eat? Great question. All right. Next question. This is from, okay, I can't, I can't read what this actually says. Um, Exploring Aerial. That's what it says. Um, exploring Ariel. I, I typed it funny and I'm thinking that's not what it said. <laughs> Ariel's question is exploring Ariel's question is, I'm worried my BMR will decrease because of restriction and derail weight loss. Is that a thing? Okay, here's the thing. Our bodies are designed to protect us. You know, in times in the past with there's great famine and you have to go a long time, maybe before you can find food. That's what we're programmed to be able to do. And so our bodies don't want us to be losing fat. They want us to keep that on there. And so our bodies are super smart. And when we restrict and we restrict and we restrict, our body can do certain things to help us to stay alive. And this is a good thing. It's not great for those looking to lose weight. So one of the things that happens is that it down-regulates how much we're moving, So our neat, which you hear me talking about all the time, encourage you to get up. This is a big piece of the puzzle here. Without you even knowing it, it is going to down-regulate your neat. So things like, even just like fidgeting, like right now, so I'm a big hair twirler. If my body, if I had been in a cut for a long time, I would likely be doing that less. All these little movements across the day, our body helps us to do less so that we can conserve our energy, which is not helping us to lose weight. Another thing that happens, things like our hunger and our cravings can go through the roof to encourage us to what? Be able to get more food. Not helpful when you're trying to lose weight. That said, you can work on controlling all of these factors through uh, several means. One, let's not have you over-restrict, okay? And when I talk about over-restricting, I mean total calories. So there's no reason for you to be at ridiculously low calories. There's also no reason for you to constantly be, even if you're in a moderate deficit, to constantly be in a moderate deficit. That is not ideal. And this is a time when your body will likely downregulate how much you're moving and increase your cravings and your hunger. So what we do is we have set periods of time where you take a diet break. For many people, and this is what I do with most of my clients, I wait for these things to naturally occur. Okay, so you can just know like when I'm on vacation, When it's my birthday, when I have busy times at work, that there'll be these times that you can have these like refeeds that can help with that. The other thing is to just make a decision you're not going to diet permanently. Have dedicated maintenance phases. Make that decision ahead of time. What did I already say? So I talked about not having too low calories. I talked about not permanently dieting, and then. You can actively work on some of these other things. As far as this downregulating our need, you can be proactive about that and set your steps at a certain amount and make sure you hit them. See what I'm saying? So if your body is encouraging you to not move more, you can actively help it move more by setting your steps, you know, at 10,000, 12,000 steps, and making sure you hit that. Working with hunger and cravings, again. This is all taking into consideration that I really want you to have a good moderate deficit and not be dieting all the time. Once those things are taken into account, you know, and having refeeds occasionally, we can work on the okay. How do you actually manage hunger? How do you actually manage cravings? Making sure that you have food that is filling to you, making sure you include some dietary fat, um, making sure that you're eating enough protein, and then working on the mental aspect of hunger, as in hunger isn't an emergency okay, you can go being hungry longer than you think you can. And I'm not suggesting you go some weird period of time, but so many people think at the first sign of hunger that, that we get this like siren in our brain, like it's an emergency, must eat food. When really, when we're trying to lose weight, sitting with that hunger for 30 to 60 minutes is a really good plan. If you weren't counting calories, that's a really good way to actually lose weight is to just sit with your hunger for 30 to 60 minutes and then eat until you're satisfied, not stuffed. So those are some considerations there. Yes, you can, um, you can restrict too much, but there are also ways you can make sure you're not doing that. Also important to note, as you lose weight, your body will need less calories because there's literally less of your body. So expect that. All right. And, and when I say that, It doesn't mean you should be constantly lowering your calories as you're dieting every few pounds. I just had somebody ask me, like, you know, I've lost some weight. Should I be readjusting my calories? And I looked to see how much weight they'd lost. They'd lost like two pounds. No, you don't need to to lower calories because you lost two pounds. I will tell you, I don't adjust my client's calories down until those calories stop working. And that can go for a really long time. I've had clients lose 30, 40, 50 pounds on the same calories they started with. So if your calories are still working, And by that, I mean, you need to know that you're at a high degree of consistency, at least at 80% of consistency, and you're not seeing any changes in the fit of your clothes or your measurements or the scale weight, what did I miss? Or your pictures, you're not seeing any change there for at least a month of 80 to 90% consistency. That'd be a time that I would consider reducing calories. All right, next up, and is this my last question? Let's see, yes, this is our last one here. This is from T.M. Burton. And T.M. Burton wants to know, how do I stop the binge eating cycle? I wanna be really clear before I start answering this question on my scope of practice here. I do not coach or advise people with clinically diagnosed eating disorders. That is for a trained eating disorder specialist a registered dietitian, a counselor, not for me as a personal training trainer and a weight loss nutrition specialist. But in our vernacular, binging can mean something other than binge eating disorder. And that's what I'm going to chat through here. If you think you might have, or you know, you have binge eating disorder, I am not speaking to you. And I highly recommend you speak with a medical professional that you trust about this because there is help out there for you. Now, for those of you who use binge as in, I ate more food than I meant to, I kind of overate, you know, I over restricted during the week and then I dove face first into the pizza on the weekends. The answer I'm going to give you is let's start breaking that binge cycle well before the binging. It's not at the moment that you're like sitting there overeating the pizza or the chocolate or the popcorn, whatever it is, to start tackling this cycle. The place to start tackling this cycle is back with what you were doing when you were over restricting. That's usually what's leading to this binging is that you've been over restricting. So eat substantial meals. Enough with the meals that are 250 calories of plain lettuce and plain chicken with a side of celery sticks. Okay, that's the problem. You're not eating enough at most meal times and it's leading to you overeating later, whether that's at nighttime or on the weekends or just randomly on a Thursday after you've been, you know, living on air all week. What if you actually enjoyed your food more? And when I'm talking about that, I want you to actually have more food as in let's not have 250 calorie lunches and dinners and breakfast, let's have 500 calorie lunches and dinners and breakfast and let's include carbs and fats, foods that we really like. It doesn't have to just be lean protein and veggies all the time. You catching my drift here, eat satisfying foods that you enjoy and eat enough of them. If you're like, wait, how am I gonna lose weight if I'm eating all that? consider this, and I'm gonna give you some numbers here, but these numbers are just for us to be able to talk numerically. I'm not suggesting numbers for you. If you want me to suggest numbers for you, you can go to kimschlagfitness.com, and I'll put this link in um, the show notes, my free five-day fat loss crash course. I do help you um, work through what your starting deficit numbers would be. The numbers I'm giving you here are literally just for us to talk numerically. So imagine this, you're eating 1200 calories, and you're not including many carbs or fats. It's mostly lean protein and veggies. That's over restricting, ladies. That in turn leads you to eat 2,500, 3,000 calories. Have these big binges where you're eating tons of calories. Is that really a superior plan to 1,600 calories that you can comfortably stick with? You see what I'm saying? And that's how raising your calories actually leads to you lowering your calories. Does that make sense? Stop the binge restrict cycle with the restriction. And that is our show for today. Fantastic questions. I'm going to be sure to do another one of these soon um, so we can get all of your questions answered. All right, catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I hope you found it motivational, inspirational, educational, organizational. If you did find value in this episode today, it would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this episode on. It really does help to get this podcast in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here.